Hello and welcome to the Endurance Coach Podcast. My name is Mark Laithwaite and I'm here today with my co-hosts, ultra runner and sports psychologist, Dr. Ian Bordley, and also with sports injury specialist, Mike James, aka the Endurance Physio. Each week, we'll be telling you what's new in the world of endurance sports. We're going to have some amazing guests on the show and we'll be discussing how you can reach your true potential on race day. So sit back and relax. We hope you enjoy the show. So we are back for yet another episode of the Endurance Podcast. Mike, Ian, welcome back. Are you both well? Very well indeed. Yeah, good. Thanks, Mark. You? Very well, very well. Very excited in the run-up to Christmas. Uh, Key question, being in November as it is, Ian, are your decorations or your tree up yet? No, but they will be very soon. I have a feeling it might be this weekend. Yes, yes. I think this weekend could be the peak weekend for a lot of yeah. people for tree, yeah, for tree erecting. Um, Mike, decorations or tree up? Not yet, not yet. Full confession, I'd probably leave them up 12 months a year if I had my way. I love Christmas, but the wife makes me take them down. But uh, uh, like Ian, probably this weekend. It's a good chance they'll go up this weekend. Yeah, is it December this weekend? What, what's the date today? No, we're not quite there yet. It's yeah. 26 today. But technically, it, it is less than a month, isn't it, from Christmas? So, yeah. so I think legally, I think um, in the terms and conditions, you are allowed to put them up this weekend. Yeah, there'd be no, uh, no Christmas police. No. Police around. No. So uh, this episode, because we are coming into winter now, we're going to have a chat about winter training. Um, the rights and the wrongs, the things people should be doing, the things you shouldn't be doing, and also just answering some of the kind of queries and the questions that some of us have been getting from athletes about winter training and uh you know what's the best way to progress over the next few months and i know mike you've had lots of conversations about this with your clients recently haven't you and lots of in- different topics have been coming up so what kind of things have they been saying to you yeah it, it's something that generally pops up this time of year but um i run a monthly webinar the 12 months of the year and I normally invite topics that people want me to discuss in the weeks and months prior to each each episode and um, there's been a huge clamor from September onwards of people just wanting winter training tips and as much as it's about uh, tell me the things I should be doing to help next year a lot of it this year is really directed on what are the mistakes I need to avoid so um, so I did my webinar a couple of weeks ago. I did uh, my top 10 tips for winter training for endurance athletes. And it was literally a five and five split. Here's five things I think you should really focus on. Here's five things you should probably steer away from or just be careful you don't fall down some of the, the well-intentioned but um, easily found pitfalls and traps that wait for us when we're not when we're not aware of them or just not focused on them. So I thought it'd be a really good thing for us to to share all our opinions and stuff. Obviously, and there's tons of these things. We won't get them all into today, but um, 
if people are listening back when it's released and you've got thoughts on the things we talk about or other ones you'd offer, then please do comment on the various social media platforms you see them because um, we, we certainly won't be exhaustive in, in the time we've got today. Cool, cool. Um, so what kind of questions have you been getting? Let's give us an example. What's the most common one you've had over the last, uh, last few weeks? So it's starting to deviate away from the, the physical. So everyone normally wants to know what should I be doing physically this time of year? I'm starting now to get the people who are thinking about planning. So there's a lot of people now going, you know, look, here's my major race for next year. Does my training focus on that now? How should I think about my training based on next year? So um, so my one of my top tips of the things people should do, for example, is to just sit down, reflect on the last year, maybe longer, look at your training diaries and plan what next season looks like. Now, for some people, that may well be a loose framework. Here's my major races. These are the dates around them. And I'll leave a bit of flexibility to pad out the rest. But for some, it is very specific, very, very focused of, of you know, and I like it sometimes when they do that, because if you are someone who tends to be quite reactionary and add more in when the season goes on, then often we can overfill a calendar. So I like it when people go, no, there's my absolute set in stone plan. And now it shapes because one of the ways to get the answers to the what should I be doing now is to work out where you need to be at what point in the season, where you might be now and how you segmentally periodize your way forward. I've certainly found this helps a lot of athletes in recent years who I think we've talked about it. I can't remember, but that whole sort of fear of missing out culture right now. Number of athletes that I see that um, they, they're three or four years into their endurance career. Year one, they did a couple of races. Year two was all of those races and a few more. Year three was all of year one and two races and a few more again, because they're scared of not doing something they've done in the past for various reasons. And they end up this time of year absolutely confused because there's a there's a parkrun PB they want. There's an Ironman they want to try and qualify for. There's a marathon PB they're chasing. And it's just too confused. So um, so sit down, reflect, look what's worked, what hasn't worked and think long and hard what that plan might be for 2022. Yeah, I guess there's two things there, isn't there? So listening to you, uh, what you just said, there's two things, which is the race calendar. So people perhaps putting in too many races compared to focusing on a fewer number of races. And then there's the actual periodization of the training as well. So, you know, classically, when people pencil races in, they may have A, B and C races. So your A race would be a big one that you want to be your best for. The B races are relatively important and the C races are not important at all. They're just training sessions. Um, and, and periodization, if you like, is just ensuring that you are at your best when you hit those A races. Um, Ian, uh, we have talked about this in the past and your periodized year for your ultra racing. Um, what's your thoughts and experiences on that? You will give a bit of an overview on how, how you've dealt with it in the past and periodizing the year and your winter training in particular? Yeah, I often think, and I'll probably come back to this with one of my points later, but I think the winter is often uh, a good time to work on things that you can't necessarily work on um during your, the main summer period so if you're you know your priority through the summer is very long events 
then maybe the winter is a time to be doing some of the shorter stuff that really doesn't fit with those those others and developing those areas of your um of your um abilities uh, capabilities um that you can't really focus on during the main season and in the build-up when you're doing your really specific work for the summer so you know an example of that for me you know for once i move into may and into the summer period my main focus generally ultra running so i'm um, doing a lot of sort of long volume training and uh, and then recovering between those sessions which doesn't leave a lot of time for sort of focused track work and speed work so in the winter i tend to focus for us on a spring marathon and train for that so that i'm then you know from sort of january uh, up to sort of early april focusing you know it, it might seem strange that you say for a marathon that you can do short stuff but you can still be doing you know 5k focused training and so on that can be very beneficial um for a marathon uh, and and for a, a lot more road work as well than you'd be doing in the summer uh, so developing those sort of speed capabilities so you you top end speed um you know vo2 max some of the things that it's harder to work on in the summer can be sort of topped up in the winter and and focused there so um and it might be that it's the other way around for other people and that they've got other things to focus on in the summer but it's really about thinking about you know which areas are, are kind of neglected in the main competitive season for me um and how can i best focus my training um and possibly some of the objectives that i work towards to motivate me towards those um through the winter period yeah, I mean, we talk when we talk about period hours in the year. I mean, one of the things you said there is, is specificity. And as you came into the season where you've got lots of ultras and longer races and you're becoming more specific. So if you're doing the Lakeland 100 on the, in the mountains, then you've got to be doing longer stuff and it's got to be on that kind of terrain. So you go from a very general winter training or focusing on various things and weaknesses that you want to work on from the general to the very specific as you're coming into the summer. And that's obviously one way to periodise it, isn't it? Um I think that the other thing you mentioned there as well is the time. I mean, I, I keep saying to people now that they should be doing getting into a structured training program right now. And people like to delay it to maybe January, February. But one of the beauties of starting early is, I've said this time and time again to people, is that they don't need to start um, training. They don't need to do a lot of training now, but there's a lot of key things, the right things that they can do that will set them up in really good stead for next summer. And now's the time to do it because you can get away with something doing 12 to 16 weeks of something that you wouldn't normally do because you've got so much time until next July. So now is the perfect time to be working on that stuff without fretting too much that you've got to chase it and then you're going to be playing catch up. Um, and of course, that what, what they do over the I mean, you said then what they're going to be doing over the winter is very much dependent on the individual, isn't it? Because what's their weaknesses? What's their targets? So maybe it's worth just kind of drilling down into that a little bit then just thinking about people who've got specific targets, what they're training for and, and some examples of what kind of things people should be doing over the winter based on certain weaknesses that they may have. I don't know if, Mike, if you've got any kind of like case studies or examples of athletes that you're working with, that you can maybe give us a bit of an idea of, you know, how they can individualise and their, their kind of periodised plan over the winter. Yeah, of course. And, and it can be from a some of my guys work from an injury or a performance standpoint. So I have plenty of athletes, as as most listeners would probably attest to, they, they've experienced themselves, that there is a time when we're approaching those major races and we're in heavy blocks of training 
where the best strategy from a treatment case for, for some injury is literally patch you up, get you to the start line, get you across the finish line, and we'll fix you later. And for a lot of people, now is the time to get those fixes done when the foot isn't on the gas with the training, particularly those athletes. And the, I've got lots of people right now who were start. I may not have worked with them for a number of years, but when we drill down a little bit into their history, it's the same problems that recur season on season at specific points. And exactly like you said, Mark, most people focus on what's going on at the time when they get that injury. And realistically, it's what didn't they do in the months previous to that point to prepare them to cope with that period of training better. So I've got lots of people now, again, strength training is a big thing of my approach this time of year. It can be the priority. Your cardio stuff, your endurance work can be secondary for a lot of people while they build a little bit of robustness and develop some capacity in the gym or at home. So I've got athletes working on that side of it. And then likewise, in, in another way, it's the, you know, that when from a performance point of view, you have athletes who want to be better at some of the technical stuff or they want to be better at some of the minutiae of performance, the little things that will add to some of the bigger things later on. And again, we can do some technique work or some technical work on certain aspects this time of year, which will be different for everyone, because then... If we try to do both at the same time, build capacity, volume, speed, and work on some of these things spring onwards, it's probably not going to be the right time to get the best out of it. So so that's where I, I tend to fit. I've got a lot of my athletes now in the um, fixing the root cause of problems that manifest later on in the season as injuries or just those. And again, a lot of it sometimes is... Um, I've got a, a good case study right now. I've got a cyclist who, um, or a triathlete who um, the glaringly obvious opportunity for him to perform better is to maximize his bike. It's, it's the weakness in his performance when you strip it all back. And fundamentally, what I found is he's traditionally someone who, from the minute he racks his last race bike of the season until his first race of the season, traditionally gets on the turbo, gets on the spin bike, likes his Zwift glasses, and what normally tends to be one of his limiting factors in season is his bike handling capacity. He just can't ride the bike well enough. So he's slower. He's a little bit more vulnerable. He's had some crashes in the past. So we're starting to try and get him to be more competent on the bike by riding more outside in the winter. Now, obviously, that comes with subsections of things you need to work on as far as safety and some of the other stuff that goes with it. But, um, but fundamentally, I think it's it's not a fitness problem. It's a confidence and a competence thing of him being on the bike. So his winter, even though they're small, digestible chunks of, of riding, is trying to reduce the capacity of his work on the bike, on the rollers, on the Zwift, and increasing his ability and capacity to be outside. It's as simple as that for him in, in, in trying to push him forward. We've not removed the indoor stuff, but we've certainly tried to put a spotlight on, on, on still being outdoors. That's made because it's it's obviously daylight hours are different now. It has meant he's had to rejig so many aspects of his life to work on that one little bit of his performance. But I genuinely think it will pay dividends for him next season. You have to say, uh, I don't know whether it's an age thing or whether it's a general uh, training thing for me. But I do find that the, the more longer distance endurance stuff you do, the probably more you do need to get in the gym over the winter. 
Um, and, and like you, my focus at the moment is a, is a couple of strength sessions where I'm really focusing on those strength sessions. I think it's funny with strength. Strength, one of those things that endurance athletes, they tend to stick a little bit of strength in or a bit of core when they can, but it's just an add-on. You know, they've got all the volume, the swimming, the cycling, running, whatever it may be. And then they might stick a little bit of strength in there if they get a chance. And if they don't, they don't. But in winter, it's a really good opportunity to go back to that basic strength work and drop the volume of aerobic exercise down um, because you've got plenty of time and you can pick it back up again before July. Uh, and that definitely really, really benefits me. I think endurance athletes in particular, they get that very catabolic state where they're breaking themselves down, don't they? So, yeah, I'm, I'm certainly with you on the strength training. Um, so from that kind of individual perspective, I suppose maybe, Ian, we need some kind of a start the winter with a SWOT analysis then. I don't know what you think. What do you think? Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I think that, you know, um, I think one of the issues people face is they're always, you know, t there's a tendency to be um, forward focused, isn't there? It's like, look to what's what's coming the next year and then what do I need to do to, to train for those? Um, and also we have quite uh, uh, short memories, but on, on the first point, it's important to look back and actually, you know, think back to what, you know, what we, and Mike mentioned about injury there and trying to prevent injury, but I think it also relates to limiting factors as well, doesn't it? So think back to your training and look back through your training logs from from the last year, and you know what were the limiting factors when you when you introduced new things. So when the volume went really high, you know which areas of your body were the areas that were giving you issues that indicate that there might be you know a limiting factor, a weakness there. You know, uh, when you introduce track work, if you do more speed work and go on the track, is it that your glutes get tight, you get problems around the hips? You know, so it, they're indicators from your training. What you are, or is it on one side of the body? So you've maybe got more problems on one side than the other. But you know, what what is what is your training from the past year telling you what the limiting factors are that indicate what you need to be working on around now at, at this time? But I think yeah, definitely that sort of strengths and weaknesses, and because uh, analysis because. Um, identifying your strengths is probably giving you a, go a good indicator of what will come back very quickly next year as well and you probably don't need to introduce into the training quite so early um, whereas obviously the weaknesses need a little bit more time but uh, as you alluded to there as well Mark um, some areas you really it's really difficult to work on uh, the, when you're working on other areas of your performance so if you're doing a lot of endurance work it is difficult to build strength because there's kind of this um, yeah and the working against one another um yeah. in that you said you mentioned being catabolic and the breaking down of the muscle tissue and so on um it might develop the endurance capabilities very effectively but it's breaking down areas of tissue that might be um giving you weaknesses that then at some point in the 12 months need to be worked on again but yeah i think that the key thing is to look backwards before deciding um, what you need to do for next year's plan but it might it also inform what you want to include in that plan as well so was in terms of your overall schedule in the of the year were there areas where you did have too much in there and you thought that that was producing problems because you there's always a tendency to back off when you train a little bit before an event even if it's a b or a c race um you know did you overload your schedule so as well as doing that sort of um analysis of where your strengths and weaknesses physically might be also do the same sort of analysis of your program from the previous year in terms of you know what worked and what didn't and uh, because I think if we're just very forward focused we have a tendency to actually make a lot of the same decisions that we made the year before because a lot of our um, the things that 
drivers, the things that we like, the things that we would like to happen are, are probably quite similar to uh, last winter. Um, but to move forward as, as athletes, I think we always need to be um, trying to learn from the previous year as well. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah, I um, just when you, you point you made there, and you kind of referring back to what I'd said about it being catabolic and anabolic and how endurance exercise breaks you down. You said, you know, it, you, you maybe have that extra energy to, to focus on those things. And I've definitely found that. So when I'm lifting in the gym now, I'm lifting far more than I was back in July when technically I was at my peak uh, before I did uh, Ironman UK. But I, I can lift more now than I did then. And I think it's obviously because you're just so knackered and doing such big volume of swim, bike and run that you can't really maximise the strength. Whereas, and, and I think that's hard for a lot of people because triathletes because of that obsessive personality i think that, that you can develop very easily with with triathlon you know people like to think they don't have exercise addiction but they probably do to some extent that it's almost a panic that uh so at the moment i'm cycling once a week and i do two strength sessions and those strength sessions to me are bike sessions they are underlying my basic strength which i will then go on and apply to racing on the bike but i'm only riding my bike once a week and even though I, I know that those two strength sessions are the right thing for me, I'm having a little bit of panic about the fact I'm only riding my bike once a week at the moment. And I find that very hard to get across to people because I've got to be riding my bike three times a week and I've got to be doing intervals all year round. And it's that panic of moving away from really hard training, fear they're going to lose out on something, you know, that might, and it may be more of a mindset than a physical thing. Um, Mike, have you had any uh, experiences of that with the guys you're advising? Yeah, it's all of it. It's all of it. And, you know, sometimes it's as primitive an issue as the fear that putting attention on strength work will deviate from cardio. Mm. And when we try traditionally, as you said, when you said about a lot of them starting in Jan, I'll start my plan, I'll start my training and I'll start my strength work. And for a little while, they live quite symbiotically and they exist, coexist quite nicely. And then they both start getting harder and one is going to take priority and is only ever going to be one winner. So again, from a practical application point of view, a lot of the time I spend with my athletes is just pointing out that very fact. We don't need them to compete. We need them to have separate priorities at different times in the season. Now, look, focus on it, because if you get a bit stiff and a bit sore from them and you don't feel like you're running or cycling can cope that well, doesn't matter. It mm. doesn't matter, but it'll pay dividends in the season. And then they go, oh, OK, yeah, that makes sense. We take the conflict away, let them complement each other instead. And often it is that just, you know, I spend so much time with my athletes just talking before I do anything else. Because if I can get that rationale across to you, you're probably going to engage with it a bit more. Yeah, yeah. My, I personally, what I find is that when I do intervals on the bike, you know, if you want to do a good interval on the bike and push a decent amount of power, that you actually have to be quite strong. You know, we see this in testing people all the time. If they're quite big and strong and they get on the watt bike, they'll knock out a good amount of power for a short time. So I'm not going to knock out much power in an interval training session anyway. Um, so my, I tend to polarise it quite a lot over the winter. So I'm doing a lot of long, very easy stuff. Or not a lot, but any, anything other than my strength work is very, very easy and long. So my strength sessions are, in, in fact, my high-intensity workouts. And then it doesn't really matter if I'm a bit sore the next day because everything else is just zone one swimming, biking or running. So it, it kind of works quite well but and again it goes back to what I said earlier about is, is I know that I can pick up my training and start doing intervals in February March I've got plenty of time so 
this is why people need that periodized plan and working out the timescales. If they start now, they've got plenty of time and they don't need to worry about focusing a bit of time towards rehabbing injuries or working on strength because they've got a lot of time left before next July. So, um, and I guess, you know, from not just from the physical side of it, but also there's a psychological element here, isn't it? So we're talking about the psychology of people panicking because I have to ride or uh, three times a week or run three times a week or swim three times a week. So there's that, the psychology of that mindset that they can't get out of. But I would also say perhaps at this time a year, Ian, that people psychologically need a break as well. Um, you know, what's your thoughts on that? I think, yeah, definitely. I mean, I think people need, it certainly need variety um, to, to, um, uh, in the training because, you know, just I was thinking there, a lot, obviously a lot of the rationale and the, uh, that we're providing there for doing this um is about the benefits of the strength work but that you also if you think about the counterbalance of this and you actually you don't do the strength work and you start focusing on the sort of training that you think is what you need for next summer then there's a couple of issues with that one you tend to be doing that sim very similar types of training for a long period of time which motivationally is not good and it can leave you quite stale but um physically as well you know there's only a certain period of time that you tend to get a benefit from a particular type of training so if you if you move the intensity you start doing track work and so on and you're running you'll see you know good gains from that you know for maybe you know eight ten weeks but if you carry that on to 15 20 weeks then the, the benefits soon you, you start to see them plateauing off um and one of the other issues um for people if they if, if you haven't got an alternative focus if you haven't got something that you're targeting in the winter then a, you get psychologically stale um, as you go through the winter because you're doing the same sort of training. But physically, you, you plateau as well and you, you're no longer getting the, you're not maximising and peaking in the physical attributes that you want at the time when you need them um, for the actual performance. Mm. Yeah. yeah, I think from a psychological and, and from a psychological point of view, it, it definitely benefits you because you've got a very clear focus, you've got an objective to work towards. Um, but I think some of the things we've talked about there as well is the importance of making that link with next summer's performance because uh, as endurance athletes we don't always find um, the, the strength work intrinsically enjoyable as an ex as an activity in the same way that we do uh, endurance activity so having a purpose for it um, I think is even more important for the, for the strength work than it is for you know maybe the endurance work we're doing next summer where the sort of intrinsic enjoyment of the activity is probably motivating enough for us um having a purpose for the strength work i think is especially important yeah i have to say you know i'm doing strength work a couple of times a week at least and i love it so it's it's a nice break from all the other stuff yeah. to be honest and i think you know you hit the nail on the head there when i i mean I, when i said do people need a break and you said no what they need is variety and i think actually that that's right that's what i meant when yeah. other than a break i think a mental break doesn't mean that you have to stop training and need a break variety is gives you a mental refresher doesn't it and i'm finding that is that i'm really enjoying going to the gym and doing the strength work because it's something different you know i mountain bike at this time of year rather than road bike and i really love that so you're still doing your exercise but it's just a break from that routine and i i know i've just i don't know how people do it but i i've seen people who literally on training plans from october november onwards and they're just doing high intensity interval work and it starts in october november and just go straight through to kind of June, July the following year. And I don't know physically how they can do it. And I don't know how mentally how they can do it without burning out. But also, is it really worthwhile doing that? Because going back to another thing you've just said there, which I think is, a, again, a really key point, is this. You said you went on the track 
and you're, what you'll see is pro progress over the first eight to 12 weeks and then you plateau. And we know that's what happens with hard interval training, that after eight to 12 weeks, you will plateau and your performance will just fluctuate up and down and won't get any better. So the idea is that you build that base and then you add the training on at the right, the, the interval training on at the right time, rather than just, you know, people forever after eight weeks getting better and they're confused when they stop getting better and they can't really work out why when they're doing the same they've been doing for the last eight weeks and actually getting any faster and uh and, and you know i see a lot of that over the winter people thinking they just smash themselves every session there's going to be this linear progression which which there just isn't you know it, it just doesn't happen that way um so uh so again i suppose another reason for for periodizing the uh periodizing the year so we have talked quite a bit about injuries and stuff and you know it's good to get the strength work for the injuries and stuff, but I want to just shy a little bit more towards performance. So again, I know this is very individualized, but Mike, do you want to talk a little bit, or again, have we got any case studies of athletes you're coaching? What kind of exercises or what kind of activities people should do over the winter? So for example, do you prescribe more easy miles? Do you do any high intensity work? Obviously, you've said that you prescribe strength training. You know, how do those kind of things fit together? Can you give us an example of maybe a training plan that you would prescribe for a specific case? Yeah, of course. And, and I guess the thing here is that it's not a one size fits all answer. Yeah. You know, it'll be specific to the person. If you've got, you know, I am working with people right now who have an A race that's in Feb, March, April time. Mm. Their program is fundamentally different to someone who's got the same type of race, but it's an August, September race. So um, so you can't take a, you know, unless your program replicates some or your goals replicate someone else's, then then there will be a lot of diversity in what we're giving out. Um, but I do have um, and again, some of it is. So I have some people now that I'm working with whose goals are later season next year. But there's things we're trying to work on now so that when we do them next year, they're not new things, if that makes sense. So I've got a couple of guys right now working really hard, really intense right now in the in the pool on their speed work in the swim. Now, I've got other athletes who are doing nothing more than, as you said, the slow, long plods or working yeah. on some technique and some drill stuff. But I've got a couple of athletes that are really going for it when it comes to speed work, pure, pure speed work in the pool. We're going to back off after that. The, the program is going to step right back and make more of a formal sort of traditional easy volume builder. But what I want to do with them now is they're quite fearful of it. They're not used to it. They're not used to having that intense block of training. Yeah. I, I know that come the summertime, that same type of training is going to have to coexist alongside cycling and running that will also maintain a lot of high intensity and i don't know if they'll be physically or mentally robust enough to first experience that next summer mm. so we're just segregating a little bit of isolated time this this time of year to really expose them to it so when they come back to that next year they go oh yeah okay one i know what it feels like but two i'm also not shocked how hard it's going to be living alongside other stuff as well um but I've got other ones who are just generally building volume. You know, I'll use myself as a case study. I've got MDS in Mar end of March. So, you know, for me right now, I'm training to time, nothing else. I have no other metric that I'm measuring right now until about 12 weeks out. 
I'm just building time and frequency of runs and walk runs. And that's all I'm thinking about. Not even doesn't I'm not even thinking about anything else because I know when I've planned into the new year, there's gonna be a time where the focus of that next block of training will be intensity or will be specific speeds or specific metrics beyond time. So um so it will look different to everyone. All, all I think is the key is that um regardless of how intense or serious or purposeful your training is, it is considered and planned. It's not just something to fill the winter months. So so that's the key thing that no matter how similar or irrelevant it may look on a piece of paper to someone for where they will be next year, it's a clearly identified reason why they're doing it and a clearly negotiated understanding that they know why they're doing it. It's not just stocking filler sessions until we get to the start point. You know, it's not, oh, we'll do this now because the program, as you say, starts in Jan. Um, and then we work on on whatever for performance for, for different people, different ways. Yeah. I think that's, you know, that's one of the, the, the main jobs of the coach, isn't it? To, to periodize the year correctly and make sure people are doing the right things at the right time. And as I said earlier, it doesn't have to be, doesn't have to be, just doing the right things um and I, I i do see a lot of that with people i think different coaches work in different ways don't they so sometimes coaches are there to motivate so they might just kind of uh, get you on a group session smash you all year round and you feel that's what you need as a push but you know smashing yourself all year round has never really worked for me or, or a lot of people are coach so i think that periodization is key and we said you know that, that you've got different athletes doing different things so suppose it comes down to look at it from a simple perspective then if we're taking two things into account, it's taking you into account. So what are your strengths and what are your weaknesses? And then you've got to tie that in with what's the event that you're training for? What does that event demand and what does that event not demand? So, for example, Mike, if we did a strengths and weaknesses analysis on you, and you said, well, my strengths um, are that I'm doing a, a, a probably my longer distance stuff. And my weaknesses, I'm not very quick over 200 metres. We don't want to jump straight in there and go, let's make you a better 200 metre runner because you've already identified that your goal is MDS. So it, it's not all about your personal strengths and weaknesses. It's about the demands of the event that you're training for as well. Um, what about uh, testing? I'm curious on, because we do a bit of sports science testing on people and things like that. And I'm a bit of believer in simple targets each block so just giving people a simple target because i think in triathlon in particular when you have three sports there are so so many things you can focus on like long rides short rides intensity stuff big gear work interval running long running swim technique swim volume swim threshold work and there's so so many things you can just get lost in this mass block of just training when actually it's good to pin it down some very clearly defined goals where you can tick and go you know this is what you're aiming for in this block did you hit it so if you're going to the running track for example it might be a time that you want to achieve or it might be an amount of a volume of running that you want to achieve for each training block do you have any markers like that that you use Ian or that you've uh, used with other athletes or the people that you know um little targets that you tick off through each block things that you're aiming for yeah I think there's, there's, there's definitely some uh 
they're useful, obviously, in terms of you can, um, uh, for, for the obvious reasons, in that they would indicate to you whether your training has been successful. But I think they indicate a lot more as well to the athlete as well, just having you know, a small number of targets. Because going back, if we're linking this into what we were saying earlier, you might there might be certain areas in your training that are more sort of the background stuff that you have areas of strength, but you're still doing some maintenance work to keep those, you know, in you know, at that at a decent level so that you can just top them up when needed when it comes close to the uh, competitive season. But you then you've got those areas that are the, um, the the areas of weakness that you've identified is what you need to be working on during the winter periods or whatever period you're in at the time. Now, I think, you know, as a coach, if you're working with an athlete or an athlete, if you're putting your own program together, what you're that you set those two or three objectives around those key weaknesses is sending a signal to the athlete that th- this is the priority of this period and this is what I'm focusing on. So I am doing you know, like you said there, Matt, there might be you know, 10, 12 different types of session that might be across a block of training. But if your objectives are focused around just two or three key metrics and key things that you want to achieve, and it might be a certain amount of volume that you're doing, um, but it might be a specific time and hitting a certain number of reps in a certain number of time if you're doing the more focused intensity work. But whatever those are, that is sending a clear signal to the athlete that those are the things that are the priority. Um, And and kind of uh, all the because the other things are in the program, there's obviously a signal there that they still need to be done as well. But the real priorities are the ones that you've got the targets for. Whereas if you set targets for everything, then there's no real clear signal about, you know, what are the priorities? But also you just get lost in uh, uh, which ones you achieve, which ones you don't. And uh, it becomes very challenging to to meet all of those targets as well, and to keep all of that in check. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It is difficult sometimes to cut through, isn't it? So it's, as yeah. uh, uh, you know, I'm more and more doing that, sitting down with people and going, "Look, there's all of this stuff going on this month. Here's just these three things. Just always come back to those three things. Focus on this, this, and this, which must must be done in this block. You yeah. know, this number must they see um, what the objective is but also quite trying to convert that into a number if you like so they can see the progress because that's another thing isn't it it's different having clear objectives but also being able to measure progress how we're measuring it somehow um mike you got any examples of that yeah i agree with all of that you know for, for me i have athletes that differ person to person but also within the same person as the season changes the key metric is that the metrics you measure are clearly defined while you're doing them. They could be a quite a general one. They could be, um, think, you know, I have athletes on strength programs right now where it's about creating habit. So the only objective marker we're going for is they do a minimum of two, optimally three sessions a week. That's it. I care more about that than what they actually do in the sessions, some of them. Now, others who are more experienced will have far more specific metrics of the ones who are more experienced, available resources becomes an issue. If it's someone I'm working in person with, in clinic or in a gym, and we can do objective, scientifically based strength tests, one rep maxes, things like that, we will. But a lot of my coached athletes are online. So Mm. it it isn't availability, or it's a trust issue, no? And I take it from there. I think what I always think when it comes to setting measured metrics is the worst way that I've ever seen 
when it comes to coaches is that it's my way or the highway type approach. You know, I will only work with you if you do these metrics for me or you track this data for me. You know, my, my ultimate aim whenever I'm working with someone in rehab or performance is to say, you know, what works best for you and how can I be the chameleon as the professional? It's not a 50-50 relationship, this. This is an 80-20 us-them relationship. We should be there accommodating them, not the other way around. So, you know, if I've, and I have some, I've got, I've got engineers and scientists that I work with who want to absolutely analyze every metric available. Okay, we'll go complex. We'll get all this data. We'll pick a part of it and, and that'll satisfy us. Even if I think maybe we don't need to sometimes. And then I've got others who are like, I don't want to use anything like training peaks. I don't want to record anything. I just want on this day, you do this. On this day, you do that. And we'll chat at the end of the month. So um, so I I'm very flexible about what I, I and a lot of it is this is the type of thing I think we should do. We come to a, an agreement on that. These are the things that may help us measure the progress. These are the tests that may be beneficial to us. What do you think? Well, I don't really want to do that one. Or it could be. So I've got one guy right now who's training for um, Olympic distance triathlon. And literally the only metrics I asked him for before the first month of training, give me a 400 meter swim time, your 5K run time and a 10 mile time trial time. And if you don't, if you can't go out and do them, give me your most accurate ballpark for what you think you'd be on right now. The program may not be perfect, but it'll be good enough for this time of year. We will want it more specific as we break into the the warmer months and we are being a little bit more detailed and descriptive in our training. But for now, that's fine. Now, he went out and he gave me everything. And I think he did all the tests himself, you know, with a couple of days spread out. And it was all relatively, um, relatively good. And and we managed to accommodate him where he said, oh, I've got a bit of a of, of an itch that I'd like to scratch to do one more race this year. And I said, well, cool, go and find a 10K then or go and find a 5K and bloody smash yourself on it if you want and get the medal and stick it on the Internet on the Monday but send me the time. Just let me know that it's the best time you could have done for that race. Brilliant. Happy days. Happy as Larry, because he could go out and do that. So, we, But again, the, the swim time for him was a bit of a laborious chore for him to find a quiet time in the pool, to go and find a lane and to do the 400 metres. And he, he whinged a bit about that, but he did it for me. So so it all depends on, on the athlete and, and what we're trying to get out of it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I guess, yeah, same kind of I suppose pulling that together you say it's it's that sitting down and analyzing the person that you're coaching and looking at the time you've got and the year you know the, the the history of their injuries and their strengths and weaknesses and putting that periodized plan together of, look we're going to do this this block and then we'll do that in the next block and the reason we're going to do that specifically for you is because of x y and z yeah. this is how we're going to do it and then we're going to measure progress by putting these little tests in there and that, in a nutshell, is is the kind of basics for for good coaching, I guess. Yeah. I've got I've got a couple of athletes on, on on my books now, who are really experienced runners, really experienced ultra runners. They've done multiple 50 milers, and in 2022 they want to step up to 100 or a multi-day race, and they're just a little bit fearful that is something different lying in wait than they're used to. And the coaching we have is more of just a coffee chat. I'm thinking yeah. about doing this this month. What do you think, Mike? Yeah, that would make sense. Or have you considered maybe this? Both of those options might work for you. All oh, right, cool. Yeah, I can do that. All right, cool. Let's chat next month. 
I, yeah. I, I, I'm a, I'm a, you know, more of a supporter, more of a sort of confidant than a coach for some of them because they come yeah. from a, and they don't need me being dictatorial and sort of really sort of descriptive to them. They're accomplished athletes who know what they're doing. Yeah, 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 and that's because of course that's um. Uh, that's an interesting topic as well. You say that, you know, as a coach, I suppose, how does it work? Are you just a mentor? You know, some people just want ideas to, to be able to bounce ideas off someone. And some people need it absolutely prescriptive because there is a host of different personality types, isn't there? So forcing someone, for example, down the line of saying that you must use all of these metrics and I want everything recorded and downloaded. Forcing that on everybody doesn't work. But then on the opposite end of the scale, saying to everybody we're not using metrics it's just going to be go from feel and so on because different people like different things some like metrics some don't and i guess again that is part of it the whole psychology is is adjusting the plan and how you deliver that plan to that to best suit that person ian you're probably a good person to uh, to come to on this different personality types and different approaches of how you apply the plan yeah i think that's the uh, Mike mentioned there about experience, didn't he, and, and knowing people's history. I mean, that's that's something that you can very, you probably already know before someone comes to you. Uh, if they're an experienced athlete, you've probably come across them before anyway. But it's one of the first things that you need to to find out, isn't it? Because if if people have got a long history, it also probably means that the way that they operate is much more ingrained and and much uh, and um and some of the habits and some of their beliefs will be much more ingrained as well because uh, i i completely agree we do need to, obviously you need to work with people's preferences and how they like to work but at the same time you know as a coach you are still trying to guide people down what the most optimal path for them is as well so there might be times that you need to challenge some of the things that they want to do but um that but to recognize that someone who's got a much longer history um well, it's two things. They've obviously got a lot of knowledge and experience that, and there's probably things that you can learn from them as well. So it's always a, um, a two-way street. But also, it's going to take more time for them to um, change, even if they acknowledge that there's a change that needs to be made. Whereas if someone's quite fresh to a sport, they probably they probably want to be um, informed more and shaped and be given information more. Um, but we definitely need to be working with the individuals and uh, understanding what they need. And something else that I was thinking about where you, uh, when you were chatting there was uh, that Mike mentioned was that that question of where people currently are at is probably one of the first things I always um, will do if someone comes to me and asks, you know, about training for the next year or a training plan and uh, certain objectives they've got. Because not only does it, it informs what training they're capable of in the next month or two because you know where they're at and also their training history not just performance wise where they're at but what have they been doing in the last six months um, but also what their objectives are and desires and what they want to achieve in the next 12 months um, does that really uh, is that realistic based upon where they're currently at and what they've been doing as well because they're some of the more challenging conversations I think where um, you know, what people want to do is probably not consistent with where they're at currently as an athlete. Um, and another thing I was thinking about on that topic as well was um, I've been listening, Mike mentioned that he's doing the MDS and I've been listening to some of the discussions on some of the podcasts on MDS this year. And 
I was surprised by the number of athletes um, who didn't really have a clear understanding of why they were doing MDS. Because it's such a big event, people seem to have just done it because it is a big event and they're not even endurance runners, they're not even ultra runners, they've just decided they wanted to do it. And there seem to be a lot of the people who struggled most when things got really tough. So I think another thing that's important to understand about a person is not just what their objectives are, but why they're working towards those objectives and what the reasons are. Um, because I think that can be something that we can really help people with if we have those discussions, because actually it gets them thinking about it now, um, rather than you know in six, nine months time to finding out actually that wasn't the event that they should have been doing and they haven't got a good reason to be there. Um, so I think, yeah, understanding them as a, in terms of their personality, but also understanding what underlies their objectives and, and, and targets is important. Yeah. I mean, I guess well, you know, motivation is driven purely by, you know, well, not purely by, but motivation is largely driven by by your desire to do that event, isn't it? So why do you want to do it? Is I, I guess is a key question, isn't it? You know, if you absolutely aspire to complete an Ironman or a 100-mile ultra, um, then your motivation will be a lot better over the year compared to if you're doing it because your mate's doing it and you just, because your mate's doing it, you thought you'd enter as well. It's uh, You're not really fully behind it and committed, are you? No, we're exposed to a lot of external influences now, aren't we, in terms of our decision making and choosing events. And um, there's obviously a lot of marketing behind a lot of these events and a lot of the reasons why people want to do them. But they're not really the reasons that get you through when, you, when you're when you there. So I think yeah. you know, getting people to discuss the actual, you know, what what, what are the actual physical challenges that that will pose? You know, what, what for you as an individual might that be in terms of you know, your development? Um, and why would you want to take on those in terms of why would that be a challenge to you personally? I think a good topics yeah. to discuss because, you know, if if that is a match um, for those events, then they're much better reasons than, well, actually, it's, you know, I know X number of people who have done them or, you know, you just see a lot about them on social media or um, I got a marketing e- email and it looked good and I was looking for an objective and I just thought, right, let's go for that one. Yeah, yeah. Um, I'm going to take, take a step back to something you said earlier on about just going back to this different types of people and uh, because I, I, I do think there's a bit of a tendency in online coaching at the moment to be an over-focus on the plan and the way the plan is written rather than the individual. And I kind of said that you write plans and you coach people and uh, I think coaches are almost getting greater pride in writing these training plans which are absolute works of art you know, so many minutes at this power output or this run speed and at this percentage of FTP and then so many minutes recovery and then this and then that and this massive overcomplicated plan. And I do genuinely believe a lot of it is because people are paying you £150 a month. You have to write something which looks like it's worth £150 a month. So it becomes overcomplicated. But there's almost less focus on that person and what they like and what their personality is like. And so you, it's, you know, they're not really coaching the person. It, the, being paid to write this overstructured plan and when I was saying earlier about how people have different personality types now we treat them differently and I think one of the things that you said is yes but ultimately if you're the coach and you need them to achieve an objective you need to tell them that they've got to do x y or z and that's true and I wasn't trying to say that that, that you, you don't have to tell them but I think what my angle from this is that I'm not really a, a techie guy. So if I'm going to do two hours 
easy run as part of my training plan if that's what's on my plan then I just run at conversation pace off road I sometimes wear a watch just to see how long I've been running for but I don't know what my heart rate is and I don't know what my average speed is and I don't put it on Strava and I don't uh, download the data or anything like that I'll just go out for an easy trail run and uh, for two hours and if I can hold a conversation it's probably the right pace whereas other people will use Strava and will graph everything and we'll download everything and it has to be what heart rate should I run at we'll just run at conversation pace but that's not enough they have to run at a heart rate or a pace and it's very very data driven and I think I'll be more inclined in the past to try and persuade them away from the data whereas now my view is well if that's what floats the boat some people are just data driven and that's their mindset and then some people are not data driven so coaches who are very data driven probably shouldn't try and force their athletes to be data driven because you might kill every little ounce of joy that they've got in running because they don't like data and they just want to go out and run. But ultimately, if I run for two hours on the trails at conversation pace or someone else goes for runs for two hours at the correct heart rate, at the correct running speed and downloads it, they both still ran for two hours at the right intensity. So neither one session is better than the other. And adding data doesn't make that session better. And removing data doesn't make it less structured or worse quality. They're both the same, but perhaps the different personality types, you've just got to run with it. And and to get that person to do the right session, um, you know, just just yeah, base it around their personality type. I guess that was the point I was making, really. Ian. Yeah, no, I was listening to a podcast. It was a re- recently it was a researcher had done some work. And what they'd done was look at differences between uh, coaches in terms of their personality who had had athletes go to the Olympics and so world championship sort of level and ones who had won medals. And then they'd done a separate study where they'd, um, they'd uh, collected data from the athletes and asked them about the perceptions of the coach, of their coaches. And these were athletes who had gone to the Olympics or had won medals. And one of the differentiating factors, but, and these are obviously all operating at a very high level, but this was distinguishing between, you know, getting to the games and winning the medals. And, and some of the skills that really made the difference were those interpersonal skills, that ability to be sort of empathic, understand the athlete, emotional intelligence and being able to sort of uh, interpret and uh, the athlete's emotional uh, responses and act accordingly. So that flexibility and those interpersonal skills to actually understand the athlete, you know, were some of the differentiating factors for, you know, people that are operating at, at the very highest level. Um, so and I think that reflects on what we're talking about here in that, you know, if you're an online, if you're coaching online and all you're doing is sending um, a training plan out for someone to follow and then come back and report on it in a month, there's no real interpersonal interaction there at all. Whereas actually what a lot of athletes really would want is probably some of the time of the coach to actually discuss what they're doing and to understand it and, and for the coach to try and understand the athlete. And I think from a, to look at this from a coaching perspective, that difference in, in terms of that reflection on what the strengths and weaknesses of a coach might be is to think about you know how much they're how much do athletes actually adhere to the programs that are being set uh, and where are they seeing athletes who have got you know problems with adhering so they, they're getting sent this wonderful training program but what does the, what's the data showing at the end of the month in terms of how much they're actually completing of it and if you've got this big gap between the two then there's probably some you know issues around communication and understanding the athlete and and matching what you, you're setting for them uh, to what they really want and I guess it, it's it's being careful not just to set that plan 
And then I think if I go back kind of 10 years, 15 years, I think I was probably a bit like this, where you're setting that plan. And then if they don't follow it, it's kind of their problem. Yeah. They're the one who's at fault here. They're the one who's just not motivated to do the plan that you've set them, you know, without looking any further. But I guess like you said, Mike, sometimes really what people want is, is they want another mind just to bounce ideas off, don't they? So that half hour spent over a coffee having a chat is probably what they really need rather than you writing them do 45 minutes at this heart rate. I, the, the way I run my coaching is I, I keep quite a small cohort of people, about 20 athletes because of the other aspects of work. And every sort of late summer, early early autumn, I sort of recruit and advertise those people. And each year I probably turn down five clients because after a chat with them on the phone, what you find out is really they don't need coaching or want coaching. They want to outsource their motivation and have someone to be accountable for. Yeah. And I end up turning around to them and going, listen, like rather than paying me to coach you and just do what that what you need, we got a friend, a club mate, a training partner, a family member, someone who will be that accountability that you have to check in with on a regular basis, who will will hold you to account that you're sticking to what you're doing. Because I wholeheartedly believe from the chat we've had, you know what you're doing. And what you what you think you need to do is the right thing to do. You don't need me. Now some turn around and go, no, I know, I get that. Thanks for being honest, but I'd still like to have you as that someone I can hold myself accountable to. Fine. But a lot of the time they come back to me a week later, goes, yeah, do you know what? Chatted to my mate in work, chatted to my dad, chatted to the wife's brother or whatever. They're going to do it. They're going to hold me accountable. There's one this year, wanted to do a first time Ironman. And there's someone in his tri club who's done plenty of Ironman, knows what he's doing. Never thought of asking him in that capacity to to be someone he can be accountable to. The guy was like, yeah, of course I would. Why wouldn't you have asked me before sort of thing? And he's like, right, brilliant. So they're just going to work hand in hand and, and help each other. So um, so any flexibility that's needed is always from from our side of the fence. And of course, sometimes, yes, we're lucky in some ways that we work with populations who are a little bit more motivated than others. But sometimes perhaps they don't realise how much motivation or commitments needed and and they need to meet us somewhere in the middle. But exactly what you said, and and, and I've been there with patients and, and athletes where it was like, well, Christ, you know, I've moved the mountain to you and you still won't do it. What, what are you doing? Um, but then you start going, well, perhaps I moved, moved the wrong mountain or I moved a mountain the wrong way or, or whatever. And it's me that needs to to flex more, you know, it, it, it's it's. Um, it's my responsibility more than theirs. Yeah, yeah. Mm, well, we could talk about this all day, really, couldn't we? We should do another one of these podcasts. We should do another one. Uh, another one of these. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I think the, the other one I tried to shoe on in quickly for this one is, um, and this covers performance and injuries, why I'm trying to squeeze it in. When people are planning their winter training, you just your number one focus should be stay healthy, mm. be flexible, be adaptable. We can talk COVID, obviously, but let's talk a typical winter without COVID. There are loads of bugs, colds, flus, and all sorts of stuff around. Don't try and push too hard through these things. Don't try and come back too early. Adapt whatever might be in your plan for how you're feeling because a winter's training can't necessarily always make your season, but it can certainly break your season. You can lose far more than you need to by trying to come back a couple of days too early and just 
having a couple of easier days and, and, and extending that time until you feel well or reducing the training that you're doing because you feel unwell. Um, I see that every year, these people who just, you know, push too hard to come back from something or don't listen to their bodies and they end up losing weeks and weeks of their season rather than just a couple of days to a week. So, um, you know, Christmas, for example, is a good one. Christmas is coming up. Um, have a look at your plan. Unless you've got a major race in Jan, then your program should be a little bit lighter over Christmas week because it's probably unrealistic, but you'll get it all in if you factor in a big training week. It's just just common sense, but a lot of people get tunnel vision and, and forget about that stuff. Yeah, yeah. Cool. Any last thoughts from you, Ian? No, I don't, I don't think so. I, 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 at the start of the session, uh, at the start of the podcast, I... Um, I'd written down my three things that I was going to bring up as winter training mistakes, but obviously the, the conversation just flowed naturally, but we've covered all of them. Um, we, we covered all of the notes that I'd written down, and uh, uh, which which shows that we're obviously all thinking similarly on, on the same page in terms of some of these issues. Yes, yes. Well, I'm going to try and pencil in another podcast before Christmas. Yeah. Um, I should say, the beginning of this podcast, when we weren't recording, Mike informed myself and Ian that he's actually got some more employment out of this podcast from one of the listeners and uh, so if anybody is out there me and ian we are available for part-time <laughs> christmas. Uh, ian, quite happy to dress up as an elf for anything like that festive work yeah seasonal work me and ian are um are available i'll tell you what i was thinking pre-christmas that would be a cool one would be the 12 tweets of christmas we could yeah. scroll we could scroll back through the year find four tweets each that were uh was significant on a personal or, or a bigger level. They could be real sort of landmark things that happened in the endurance world that we can delve into a little bit deeper. But it could be a good little uh, cheesy clickbaity title to go after. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. You know we're still recording, don't you? Yeah. 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 <laughs> right. Well, that's it then. Two weeks time. Twelve tweets of Christmas. Yeah. There you go. To me. On it. As always, it was a pleasure. Uh, thank you very much and uh, we shall speak soon thanks for listening to the show today if you want to follow us on Twitter you can follow myself uh, via the Endurance Store at Endurance Coach you can follow Mike the Endurance Physio at the Endurance PT and you can follow Dr Ian Bordley at MD Sport X that's MD Sport EX uh, you can also visit our website you can visit the Endurance Store.com which is a local running shop near Wigan and uh, we also offer the endurance coach testing and coaching services. And also just check out sportsinjuryfix.com where you can find a sports injury specialist near you. Speak to you soon.